Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Our ministry, the one that produces these 20 Minute Bible Studies, is called Mysteries of the Kingdom. Our founder, Pastor Gary Whipple, used that phrase as the title of one of his early booklets published in the 1970s. We like the phrase because it perfectly captures the focus of Pastor Gary's life work and our ministry. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew. That's right. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus tells his disciples, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been granted. The them happens to be the large crowds that follow Jesus, representing the nation of Israel. But what does that phrase mean exactly? Of what mysteries was Jesus speaking? Today, we'll look to the Apostle Paul for part of that answer. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you for him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That was Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. First, let's use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context of a Bible reading before attempting an E, explanation. The speaker is the Apostle Paul, as mentioned, along with his protege, Timothy. The audience is the church at Colossae, a small city in a place called Phrygia, which was a kingdom in what is today the Asian part of Turkey. It was near the city of Laodicea, 
which is another church mentioned in the Bible. In this letter, in chapter 4, verse 15, Paul writes, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. And in verse 16, he adds, When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. In the book of the Revelation, Laodicea is one of the seven churches addressed in the beginning of that book, Revelation chapter 3. It's the rich but lukewarm church. Okay, Jordan. Now for the context. This epistle or letter was written around AD 60 to a church Paul had not founded or even met yet. No, it was actually founded by Epaphras, who was a convert of Paul's from Ephesus. Now at the time, Paul was in prison in Rome, and Epaphras had come to serve him and also tell him what was happening at this church in Colossae. So like several churches at this time, this church was under attack from false teachers who claim Jesus was not God. Paul's letter to them is basically his case for Christ, the divinity of Jesus, and his supremacy, which is why we get these verses like Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, which reads in a New King James, I'll read it from the New King James, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now we've considered the speaker, audience, and context, we're better equipped to give an explanation. Let's break down our scripture reading, and I'll read verses 21 to 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So first thing, note the conditional if there in verse 23. If you go back to verse 22, it says, you'll be judged holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if. And then it comes to verse you know, 23, you remain established and steadfast and don't lose hope. And if you do move away from hope and slide back towards your former state, it is implying, you know, that alienated and hostile in mind state where you were engaging in evil deeds, what happens then? Do you lose your salvation, Andy? No, Jordan. At least not the salvation an Arminian Christian would teach. The word if here is a conditional word, and it's attached to the salvation of a Christian. So that condition is requiring works on our behalf. Paul, the same author of Ephesians, teaches us in that letter, if you read chapter 2, that our salvation is based on God's work and not ours, that it's a gift from God. So we all know that God's word is perfect, and it never contradicts itself. So there is something else at stake here, according to Paul. We'll pick up in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. So what does he mean by filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, one answer to that question is that, you know, Christ chose Paul to be his messenger, and to continue his ministry, you know, to stand in for him. 
And as part of that role, Paul experienced the persecution that was intended for Christ. Galatians 6.17 says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And you know, this is consistent with what Jesus had warned his disciples about. John 15.18 says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then in John 15.20, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You know, that's, that word slave is very important. If you read the epistles, the letters of the Apostle Paul, you'll see him call himself a slave of Christ Jesus quite often. You know, Pastor John MacArthur writes, quote, In spite of his death on the cross, Christ's enemies had not gotten their fill of inflicting injury upon him. So they turned their hatred on those who preached the gospel after he was gone. It was in that sense that Paul filled up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions, end quote. And then he adds, quote, the more Christians endure righteous suffering for Christ, the greater will be their comfort and reward, end quote. Yeah, Jordan, you know, in support of this, that statement right there brings to mind for me some famous verses in the Bible. And it makes me think of Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. And it reads like this, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And of course, that was Jesus speaking to his disciples during the Sermon on the Mount. Also, Jordan, I believe that though Paul was a true apostle and was unique in his duties and deeds for Christ, he truly set the bar, which Christians throughout history often hope to attain to, of course, when it came to sufferings for the sake of the gospel. For instance, you know, even till today, we have Christians that, whether they believe or not that they could lose their salvation or that their salvation is secure, regarding of what denomination of Christian you are, we always have the same mindset of wanting to glorify God and please God in the body. And of course, this is similar to what John MacArthur, was, whom you quoted, earlier was trying to say that, you know, that we take comfort that there's great reward in heaven for our sufferings. Yeah, I really like that end of what he was saying there in that quote, you know, the, the greater or the more righteous your suffering, the greater will be the comfort and reward. Not that, of course, you know, especially in light of our ministry speaks to the kingdom, you know, reward in the kingdom, although the Bible does say that you will receive a reward in this life and the next life. Yes. And, and interestingly enough, it's a beautiful statement because even if and we know there are many Christians out there who have not seen the kingdom truths yet, who have not really understood the you know what's waiting for Christians after the rapture or after death, whichever comes first, is that it gives them that hope that you know that statement gives them hope that you know there it's worth suffering for the Lord. It's not just about you know well I just want to make it to heaven. That's why I'm going to suffer for God. You know it's it, there's more to it than that. Great. Okay, so going back to our text, um, picking up in verse 26, it says, That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. Verse 27, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
So, of course, the, the big question that pops into your mind when you're reading this is, you know, what is the mystery which has been hidden from past generations, but is now manifested to his saints? You know, and Paul says that God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery to the Gentiles, which, you know, when I read that echoes Matthew 13, 11, which says, you know, Jesus is saying to his disciples, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, he also speaks of riches and glory twice, explaining our hope for it is, is Christ in us. What does that mean exactly, Andy? Well, Jordan, that's a great question. I mean, the first thing that we need to know is that we are in Christ at the moment of our spiritual salvation. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, the early parts of that chapter, we see that Paul is writing as if once we are saved, we already are at the throne with Jesus Christ. So technically, God being out of time considers us already in heaven with the Lord Jesus because we are in Christ. But while we have our time here on earth, it's it's us being willing to submit to Christ and allow him to sit on the throne of our lives. Meaning Christ, which is another word for king, gets to sit on the throne of our lives when we submit unto him. And at that point, that's when we start accumulating spiritual riches, and we also have a potential hope of being glorified with him during his millennial kingdom. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's it's a little bit hard to wrap your head around because it seems very, I guess the word would be transactional. Like if I if I do certain things, that, that, that's the danger of uh, kingdom teaching is, is your mind goes to a transactional place. Like, you know, it becomes about works again, works of self. And that's the exact opposite of what the message of the kingdom is. You, you do have to produce good works to, a, to you know, achieve a reward to get this riches and glory. But it's not you doing the works. We've talked about this before. It's really Christ in you, allowing Christ to work through you. It's a yielding process which produces works, which, which sounds strange, particularly to Americans in the modern context, because we're all about you know, rugged individualism, go out and I have to do X, Y, and Z and earn it earn it, you know, bootstraps and all that stuff. But this is a really strange, more Eastern teaching, if you think about it, in its historical context, that's saying, you know, be yielded, be a good, you know, it's a, it's a loaded word, but be a good slave, like it said earlier in the Bible, or servant, if you want to soften it a little bit. Be, be yielded to Christ and, and be a good servant to him. And this, these things happen through you. You know, it's not really your will being done. Amen. No, I agree to those sentiments, Jordan. Those are really good points. So let's go to verse 28. I'm going to read that for our listeners one more time. And it says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Yeah, so the question that popped into my head at this verse, Andy, was what does it mean that Paul wants to present every man complete in Christ? And first of all, you know, I should mention that in the Greek, you know, the word man, let's not get too wrapped up in that. It just means human being, if you study the word in the Greek. So it's not saying man as in the gender, it's saying man as in mankind or, or humans, you know. And, and complete, complete the, the meaning of that Greek word is the end of a process. In other words, you know, be, to be presented a finished work in Jesus Christ. And, and that word present is actually the most interesting word. You know, it raises the question, present to whom? Present when? And if you go back to verse 22, it says, he, meaning Jesus, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. 
So that gives you a sense of who and when. So, Jordan, I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. And for our listeners at home, and for the sake of time, I'm going to pick up in verse 13. Though I do recommend everyone who's studying with us, please read that entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 1 for context. But I'll pick it up in verse 13. And it goes like this. In him, and that's with a capital H, meaning it's God, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So now what God, Paul is doing, he's listing points and proof that the audience he's writing to is saved. Okay, verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while mentioning of you in my prayers. Hmm, that's interesting. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give to you a spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now that word knowledge in the Greek is the epinosis or higher knowledge. Verse 18, Paul is saying to them, this saved group of people, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So here, Jordan, when we couple these verses with the verses that we're studying today, we see that there's something more that Paul wanted Christians to know back then, which God used Paul as a vessel, that most Christians today are missing. And that's exactly what the goal of our ministry is, the main goal is to be able to share that knowledge, that higher knowledge, with all Christians. Exactly what Paul was praying for is what he was hoping for all Christians to believe. And that's what he meant in his, in his letter, that he wanted to present us to be mature so that we could have the, the fullness of our salvation, so that it wasn't just our spirit being saved. No, he wanted our souls to be saved as well. He wanted us to be complete, the best we could be. And in order to do that, we needed to understand, according to Paul, because he was praying without ceasing for this faithful group of Christians in Ephesus. He would mention them in his prayer constantly, and, and this is according to Scripture, that their eyes, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so that they could know what the hope of the calling was, what the riches of the glory of the inheritance and the saint was. So. It's important that Christians today, according to Scripture, know what the hope of glory is. Yeah, it's a great uh, point, Andy. And um, while we're on that topic, you know, we often do hear that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But why is it the hope of glory and not the assurance of glory? Well, that's a great question. And I think that the best answer for our listeners is to understand that hope and faith are really two opposite sides of the spectrums when you're talking about our salvation and Christianity. The word faith is something we that we saw see used by God in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 
speaking of our everlasting life, that salvation is by grace through faith. In other words, the mechanism for us to attain to everlasting life is just to exercise faith or rest in the fact that Jesus paid it all on the cross. However, hope is something that we might or might not get. It's something that we as Christians have to attain to or achieve. It's a goal that's set before us now that we're saved. And, you know, I, I segue into my second point that I mentioned earlier, Jordan, and that's in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And again, keep in mind, this is again Paul, and he's writing to the Christians at the church in Thessalonica. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 23, and it reads like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see Paul in this one verse summarize pretty much everything in his ministry as as what his main goal was. His hope, his his determination to be willing to suffer and to fill up in his body what you know Jesus left over as far as suffering. He was willing to do whatever it took, even if it meant giving up his life, which he did, which he did that he would bring to the church itself the fullness of the gospel. In other words, it's not just we're saved and that's it. Jesus paid it all. We know that God provided that access to him through his son, Jesus Christ, that it was predestined for us. And glory goes to God for that. And that's all true. But now there's more. There's another gate that we need to go through. And this is what Paul is trying to present to all Christians. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. 
By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.